breaking news in the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell cases, separate trials. A judge determines that there is no conflict for Brian Koberger's public defender to remain on the case. And he's had some interesting uh, summer jobs, or job, I should say. Closing arguments are done in the Alec Murdoch case. The jury will have it by the time you see this video. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, leave me a comment, hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. And you know the drill as well. We have to support the people that support Crime Talk. You want to do background searches on somebody? Go to crimetalksearch.com. You're going to get all the information that you're not going to be able to find by just doing a simple little Google search. You're going to get information as to whether somebody is married. Are they divorced? Do they have judgments against them? Liens against them? Do they have a criminal history? Do they have to put themselves on one of those public registries? Go there now, find out. You can look at as many people as you would like while you have a subscription and you can cancel at any time. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You'll be happy you did. CrimeTalkSearch.com. All right, let's go ahead and open the record to begin the docket for March 2nd of 2023. Big news in the Lori Vallow and Chad Day Bell cases. That's right, the judge, Stephen Boyce, who's handling the cases against Chad Day Bell and Lori Vallow, has ordered that the two defendants need to be tried separately. The judge ruled Thursday morning that due to Lori Vallow not being willing to waive her right to a speedy trial, that he would be forced to sever the cases and vacate the trial date for Chad Daybell. As you recall, their trial was to begin on April 3rd of 2023 up in Ada County. Now, Lori Vallow is now the only one that's going to be scheduled for trial on April 3rd. And um, the judge signed the order of transport so that Lori Vallow could appear in person. Chad Daybell appeared via WebEx or video Zoom, whatever you call it where you are. Very surprised that the judge did this. The judge, as long as the judge, along with the prosecutors, wanted these cases to remain together. The judge has done everything he could to try and keep these uh, cases together. In fact, even trying to justify setting the case for Lori Vallow outside of her speedy trial clock, which is six months from the date that she said not guilty. But ultimately, the judge had to rule on Chad Daybell's motion to continue, which was basically saying, hey, judge, I'm not prepared. And the attorney, John Pryor, would be completely ineffective if he had to go forward. In addition, that there was new DNA evidence that was coming forward that has just recently been tested and they had to run it through on an expedited basis through a private laboratory. So everybody gets what they want except for the judge and the district attorney. Lori Vallow starts her trial April 3rd. Lori Vallow will be sitting there by herself blaming her brother Alex Cox for the death of her children JJ and Ty Lee. And you can also throw you know a couple uh, stones at uh, Chad Daybell since he won't be there to defend himself. Chad Daybell gets his separate trial, which what he has wanted all along. So there you go. Now you may say, ah, this judge, why, why did he do this? He has to balance the right to a speedy trial as well as Chad Daybell's right to effective assistance of counsel. Apparently the judge has been persuaded because remember, Chad Daybell's attorney, Mr. Pryor, had made this argument on 
numerous occasions and that was denied. And if Lori Vallow had said, yes, I will waive speedy trial, guess what? Would have been continued with both of them. But now you have a single defendant that's severed. The prosecution has to get her to trial or guess what? The case is going to be dismissed. Who is to blame for this big mess? My humble opinion, blame the prosecution. They're the ones that have been seeking delay throughout this matter. They've been the ones saying, oh, we have to keep these cases together. They should have tried them separately from the beginning, but they were too worried about doing justice on the cheap. They should have said, this is what it's going to cost. We're going to spend whatever it takes because justice is expensive. But they didn't want to do that. And now they get to do it anyway, twice. You also have to wonder, why was the prosecution literally waiting until a month before trial and they're still testing DNA evidence? Are you kidding me? They've had three years. This is one of those circumstances. Don't blame the defense. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. It wouldn't have happened if the prosecution had been doing what they should have been doing. Next in the docket, Brian Koberger gets to keep his public defender. So a transcript of a hearing that was previously sealed uh, between Brian Koberger's public defender and Taylor and the court has been made public. Now, according to these records, Ann Taylor, who is the chief of the uh, county public defender's office there in Idaho, allegedly represented three family members of two of Koberger's alleged victims before taking on Koberger's case. Now, this hearing was held with a in regards to a potential conflict of interest, but Ms. Taylor was allowed to continue to represent Mr. Koberger after the court found there was no conflict. Now, according to the hearing, Taylor told the judge that she has no conflict representing Brian Koberger because she had never met Kara Northington, the mother of Zaina Kernodal. In the most recent alleged case that she has, uh, drug charges, they were filed against Ms. Northington on November 19th, six days after her daughter and three others were found um, killed inside their home there in um, Moscow, Idaho. Miss Northington had previously said that Taylor represented her on drug charges, but Miss Taylor told the judge she has never met Kara Kernodal or provided any legal advice to her. Uh, Taylor's name is listed on all of the paperwork because she is in fact the uh, public defender, so everything gets filed, for example, in initial appearances, that she is in fact the appointed public defender and that therefore she appears on all of the case captions. Makes sense, that happens everywhere. But as you may recall, there was issues that these family members of the deceased said, no, 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 Miss Taylor represented me. I met with her. But apparently there's no record of that. And the judge also uh, questioned Mr. Koberger and said, hey, there is a potential conflict here. Uh, basically, if you don't feel comfortable with Miss Taylor as your attorney, will get you a new lawyer. Apparently, Mr. Koberger said, nope, feel comfortable with her. Uh, let's keep her on as my attorney. So at least that issue's been resolved. A lot of people gave me a little bit of flack saying, oh, there's not a conflict, Scott. I said, well, it needs to be looked into. Somebody did look into it, and the facts have been flushed out. But why did we have to do that in, in chambers? Why couldn't we just do that in an open courtroom like it's done in every other court in the world except for Idaho, apparently? Anyway, it is what it is. Ms. Taylor stays on as Brian Koberger's attorney. Now, what she may need to do 
is do some research on Mr. Koberger's summer job. That's right. Mr. Koberger allegedly spent four months working as a fish cutter in Pennsylvania. Obviously, this is long before uh, he's been accused of the uh, deaths of the four students in Idaho. So his former boss, a guy by the name of Charles Conklin, owned the Big Brown Fish and the Pay Lakes uh, in Effort, Pennsylvania. And he has told the media that uh, Mr. Koberger worked for him as a seasonal employee for four months while he was in high school back in 2011. Mr. Conklin said that he trained Koberger how to slice raw fish using industry standard blades, but that he barred him from interacting with customers due to his demeanor. He said uh, he never warmed up and got friendly. Most kids that work here were considered like family. He said he, that Mr. Koberger was in fact withdrawn and really didn't show any improvement. Hmm. Well, Ms. Taylor, Mr. Koberger's attorney, may want to figure out what those industry standards are and was it with a, a slash and a jab and a cut? Just saying. <clears throat> Some items that have been seized by the Pennsylvania Police Department regarding uh, items taken from Brian Koberger's parents' house have been released. Items seized by the Pennsylvania Police from uh, Koberger's parents' house was revealed that they included uh, multiple knives, a handgun with ammunition, and a black mask. Police also seized a shovel from the accused murderer's white Hyundai Elantra, along with multiple Ziploc bags, a pair of hiking boots, and a wrench. Police removed the car seats, the door panels, and brake gas pedals from the vehicle for testing as well. As you may recall, Mr. Koberger was arrested at his parents' home in Pennsylvania on December 30th after driving from Idaho to Pennsylvania with his dad. Police um, obviously tied him to the quadruple murder in Idaho, tracking his uh, white Hyundai to the scene. They also matched his DNA to a sample that was uh, left on a knife sheath found at the scene. The murder weapon has not been recovered, but um, we have learned from the uh, search warrant that reveals that the cops did find three knives from Koberger's parents' property, including one in another sheath. Police also seized this black mask, which apparently is not dissimilar to the black ski mask described by the surviving roommate, who saw the murderer leave the scene on November 13th. In total, police seized roughly 63 items from Koberger's parents' house, included multiple items, including clothing, books, documents, bills, and prescriptions. They were all seized as part of the investigation. Now, remember, police have been watching Koberger for days before they raided the house um, in early uh, morning hours of December 30th. Mr. Koberger is due back in court at the end of June for a preliminary hearing. Obviously, we will give Mr. Koberger the presumption of innocence in regards to the death of Maddie Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves, Zaina Cronodal, and Etha Chapin. And it's also been revealed that the off-campus house where the killings took place will, in fact, be demolished. Next on the docket, the jury will have received the case for deliberations by the time you see this video. That's right, closing arguments. I thought this case was never going to get over, and I thought it was interesting, but man, it went on. So obviously yesterday, Mr. Waters from the prosecution did his closing in roughly, what, four hours or so. The defense began their cross, the defense began their closing arguments today, and it was done by Mr. Griffin. It went for about two hours, and 
it was brought up during cross-examination of Mr. Murdoch. Uh, the lead prosecutors pointed in inconsistencies in Murdoch's testimony and suggested that he's been changing his story to better fit the timeline. Mr. Griffin was having none of that and, in fact, said that it was, in fact, the prosecution is the one that had been manipulating evidence to indict Alec Murdoch on murder charges, including presenting misleading evidence to the grand jury. Because you may recall, Sled originally claimed blood spatter was found on Murdoch's shirt, but tests returned later showed that it was completely negative. And lead investigator David Owen said he'd never seen those results. The state wants you to view this through the diabolical monster lens that they have tried to paint, but the law requires you to view it through the lens of innocence, where none of these things individually or taken together can prove Alec Murdoch's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. On behalf of the Murdoch family and my friend Paul, Griffin asked jurors to not compound his family's tragedy with another before ending his argument. His closing lasted roughly two hours. Then prosecutor John Meadows began his rebuttal with a very passionate counter to the defense's claim that the law enforcement fabricated evidence to push Murdoch's guilt, equating it to putting law enforcement on trial. He said, I once called Mr. Harpatulian an automatic smokescreen machine. I think what the defense is doing right now is more like an eclipse. Meadows said, I find it offensive that the defendant, who is also a part-time solicitor, is claiming that law enforcement didn't do their jobs while he is withholding and obstructing justice by not saying, I was down at the kennels. I was down at the kennels. I was down at the kennels. And he's going to blame everybody else. Yeah, Mr. Meadows said the case was about being real and that the defendant has never been real. They're going to blame everybody but Alec Murdoch. Everybody. The rebuttal was much better than the first closing, in my humble opinion. We will bring you the, um, I don't know, we're going to call it the uh, verdict countdown. Let me know how long you think it'll be from the time they get it. We're, we're going to include after hours. We're not going to stop the clock when they go home at night because, you know, they're thinking about it in their heads. Let me know how long you think they're going to be out. A couple hours, a couple days. Let me know. Put it in hours. Maybe the closest one that comes to it will... We'll give you a prize. And finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. An unidentified thief was arrested in Illinois with a duffel bag full of sausage and other merchandise, threatening grocery store employees with a box cutter. Oh, and uh, smoking a little bit of crack. So the Illinois man was arrested for stealing sausage and more from the Jewel Osco store in Oak Lawn on Friday. Apparently, the customer walked in with an empty duffel bag when he made his way to the self-checkout line. It was then full. When a security guard approached him about the bag, the suspect at this point pulled out a box cutter and started to threaten the grocery store's security personnel. As he was walking out of the building, the employee said he was calling the police. The thief didn't even pause for a second and walked out of the shop. He walked across the street and hid in bushes next to a bank. When the police arrived, guess what? They found him. They searched the bag. They found a box cutter, a crack pipe, and, oh yeah, some Silver Creek sausage, some Vienna sausage, and some summer sausage, Vienna sausage, mayonnaise, ramen noodles, rainbow chocolate cookies, and it was worth roughly about 50 bucks. Imagine going to prison for 50 bucks. Yep. Blame it. Blame it on the crack. Blame it on the crack. Congratulations, unidentified Illinois man. You are a dumb criminal of the day. 
All right, lots of good news today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.